And I would invite the rest of you to turn to John chapter 1. If you'd like to follow along in your copies of God's Word or on your phones there. John chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 19. Continuing our series in the Gospel of John, which is really unlike the other three Gospels. There are things mentioned in the Gospel of John that are not mentioned at all in the first three. There are things that are in all the other three that are mentioned that John does not mention. So he has a very interesting purpose for writing. He highlights the light and darkness, the darkness that the world exists in and the light that God brings And we see that on full display here as we read John chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. I'm just going to read this. It's the only way that I know how to preach through narrative is to read all of it and then to go back and let's consider, see what the Lord might have to teach us from his word. John 1, 19, it says this. And this is the testimony of John. And of course, John the Baptist at this point. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across, from the, across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Then the next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, But for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God of God. Would you pray with me? Father, any time we approach your word, we do so at a particular kind of peril. We never leave an encounter with your word unchanged. We will always either be changed for the good or we will respond to it with a hardness of heart and be changed for the bad. I pray that today your word would go forth, that I would not get in the way, that I would not say anything that is not in the text, but that that you would simply make yourself known through your word. 
As you have have pierced the darkness with the light of your son Jesus, I pray that today you would pierce the darkness of our hearts with the light of the word of God so that we can see you for who you are. God, would you do this work among us today? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we consider this passage, I just want to ask you a question, and that's this. What is the purpose of somebody coming to perform right before another person? Maybe you've been to a a concert. Maybe you've been to see a a comedian. I remember Whitney and I, the very first outing that we took without having to care for Coram after he was born, the very first outing we took was to go see a comedian named Brian Regan, who is really funny and really clean. But just before him... Before you get to the main act, there's somebody there who comes kind of to make a name for themselves, right? They're kind of the the, the opening act, and it was somebody on this night who was not quite as funny and not nearly as clean, just before Brian Regan. And so I remember sitting there thinking, this always happens whenever you go see, whenever you go see a comedian or you go to a concert, and I know that we, we have some church members here who recently went to see Alabama, and they didn't invite their pastor. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know that this is in the Bible, but I think that's grounds for church discipline. All right? I'm going to throw up hands and vote right now on that. But, you know, what are these people there for? They're always there to kind of set the stage for what comes next. They're always there, though, to make a name for themselves. The most famous artist that you've ever heard of at one time opened for somebody else. And as I was looking down through a list of the, the crazy people who opened for other people, it's like how, how did Jimi Hendrix and Bob Dylan and the Beatles and all these people get their start? They got their start opening for other people. The funny thing is, the people that they opened for, I have no clue. I've never heard of them. The people, these people who were the opening acts, they actually became more popular than the people that they were opening for. And that's amazing. Is that what John the Baptist is doing here? You know, he's kind of coming as a, as a forerunner to Jesus. Is he here to make a name for himself? Is he here to kind of build up his credibility? Is he here to kind of start his own thing, to kind of get people behind him? No, not at all. Whenever they approached John the Baptist and they asked him, who are you? And he had an opportunity to say, well, I'm actually a pretty important person. He said, no, I'm simply here to point toward Jesus. And friends, that's our goal here today. Our goal as a church, so our goal as believers is not to make much of us, but to make much of Jesus. So why don't we revisit these first few verses, beginning in verse 19, 19 through 23, and let's look at this point, and that's this, that God uses the humble. God uses the humble. Verse 19, it says this, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. In other words, the Bible there is making it very, very clear. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. In a day when people were running around saying, I am the Christ, John the Baptist says, no, it's not me. I'm not here to... I'm not here to try to get you to follow me. I'm here to point towards somebody better. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to them, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I'm the voice of one crying out 
in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah has said. So this is what the people could not understand about John the Baptist. They expected him to make some kind of claim about his own greatness. They expected him to have like a Ron Burgundy moment where he says, I'm kind of a big deal, right? But he didn't give them that satisfaction. He just kept using his life as, a, as, as, as an arrow, as like a road sign, as a signpost to point toward Jesus. They expected him to either call himself the Messiah or make it clear that somehow he's pretty important. But instead, what he did is he said, I must decrease, Jesus must increase. John did not use the platform that God gave him to advance himself. He used the platform that God gave him to make much of Jesus. And friends, I would say this, for those who genuinely love God, for those who have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the point for these people, that they, they're adorned by this peculiar personality. The point is never themselves. It's not about their ministry. It's not about their money. It's not about their influence. It's not about their desires or their preferences or their opinions. It's all about the kingdom increasing, even if it means that they have to decrease. That's the thing about the radical change that the gospel brings. Friends, what if I told you? What if I told you that if by giving up something that you really like, that that act of sacrifice could be used to advance the gospel? Would you do it? Would you do it? I mean, it's something you really like. Would you be willing to give that up if it meant the advance of the gospel? What if we had to change something about how we do something and you really like that something, but you see the missional importance behind it that by making this sacrifice and making this change that makes my opinions and my preferences decrease that the gospel could be magnified? Would you be down for it? This is the life that, that John the Baptist lives. He's willing to become nothing so that Jesus could be seen as something. Most of us don't operate this way. In my flesh, I don't operate this way. We like to use Jesus. We like to photobomb Jesus so that we can ride his coattails to significance. But instead, the point of the Christian life is to live out Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live. In other words, the, the lights are on, but nobody's home. It's no longer me. It's no longer about me and my little sandcastle kingdoms. It's about being crucified, being dead to all that stuff. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We've got to do a little bit of deeper work here. This is really interesting. You don't know the little dirty secret, the dirty little secret about John the Baptist? John the Baptist didn't even realize his own significance. When they ask him in verse 21, what then, are you Elijah? What did he say? He said, no. He said, I am, I'm not Elijah. You know what's interesting? Is that Jesus says that he was the Elijah figure that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Isaiah prophesied that there would be an Elijah-type figure that would come, that would make straight the way, 
John the Baptist is that person and John the Baptist doesn't even realize it. This is the kind of humility that I think that I need and that I think that we need, that we don't even recognize what God is willing to do through us. We just simply want to be faithful and allow him to work because at the end of the day, it's not about us. Listen to Matthew 11. You don't have to turn there, but... Matthew 11 says this, the words of Jesus, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen none greater than John the Baptist. This is Jesus talking about John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. This Elijah figure that was supposed to come and prepare the way for Jesus, Jesus says that's John the Baptist. But when John the Baptist is asked, are you important? John the Baptist says, nah. See, it's crazy. You see the point? John the Baptist doesn't even seem to realize that he is the one that the Old Testament prophesied about. Most of us are trying to use Jesus as a means to pump up our own self-confidence and to give us a platform, but John the Baptist says, no, any platform I have, just like Paul, is rubbish. I want to throw it away. No resume. Nothing is worth anything except for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I just want to make it known. God uses the humble and unassuming God uses the humble and unassuming. The world wants a strong man. The world wants somebody to come with power and might and to set things right again. God uses the humble and unassuming. This should come as no surprise to us. After all, we just finished the book of James, and one of the last big points that James makes is God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Isaiah 66, but this is the one to whom I will look, God says. He who is humble and contrite in spirit. You know what it means to be contrite? It means to be sorrowful over your sin. And he, whoever trembles at my word. So friends, I would say this to you. Don't doubt whether God can use your mundane, day-to-day faithfulness. You're just taking the kid to, to daycare. You're changing the diaper. You're ripping ground. You're updating the spreadsheet or whatever it is that you do. God will use your day-to-day mundane faithfulness. He's using it probably in ways that go far beyond what you can see right now. John the Baptist was the Elijah figure, and he didn't even know it. And God was using him. God was advancing his gospel through this humble and unassuming person who didn't want a platform, just wanted the gospel. Secondly, God makes himself known to the blind. Look at verse 26. God makes himself known to the blind. John the Baptist said, he answered them, I baptize you with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. John is is saying, he's preaching to this crowd, and he's saying, somewhere in this crowd is somebody, and you don't even know him, but he's the one I'm talking about. How How could John the Baptist himself even be blind to who Jesus is? Again, in verse 33, if you look down at verse 33, John says this, and John bore witness I'm sorry, verse 33. And I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John is, 
is, is seeming to say, even he doesn't know who it is out there. This is crazy because we know how John the Baptist and Jesus were born and they, they, they're, they're kind of related and their moms know one another and things like this. But John is seeming to say, my eyes are even kind of blind to who he is, but he's going to come and he's going to do his work. We see this theme of light and darkness all over the gospel of John. That our, our hearts, our own hearts, friends, are dark. We don't see the way that we ought to. Things don't appear to us the way that they should. We see this in, in Nicodemus, right? In John chapter 3, we all know John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. In that little encounter, when, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about you must be born again, Nicodemus when does Nicodemus come to Jesus? Nicodemus, the teacher of the law, who doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you must be born again. He says, how can I go back into my mother's womb again and be born again? Nicodemus doesn't understand, even though he's a great teacher. When does Nicodemus come to Jesus? At night, when it's dark, as if just to symbolize the darkness that is on his heart. He doesn't understand. There's light and darkness. Friends, here's the reality that we learn here. Even John the Baptist doesn't even seem to know who Jesus is out in the crowd. Unless God opens blind eyes, none of us will see. God must open blind eyes. Isaiah 53 says this. He explains it a little bit to us. How could it be that the Son of God is walking among them? Wouldn't he have like a big halo? Wouldn't they just be able to see, oh, there's Jesus walking through. But Isaiah 53 says this, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry land. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, Jesus is the guy who walks into the room and he's, Jesus is the guy who walks into the room and nobody takes a second look. But he is in the same person, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He has a beauty that you can only see if God opens the eyes of your heart. That's the reality that we seem to be taught here in John chapter 1. This, this suffering servant was going to come. We were told that this suffering servant would not appear to our outward eyes, but that he would be the one who would usher in everything that we need. This is why we left off in last week's passage, verse 19. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but He has made Him known. Friends, if you are today in Christ, it is because God has made Him known to you. And I wonder, I wonder, if through the preaching of the Word this morning, God is making Himself known to somebody here today. I pray that He might be. I pray that he might be. Do you see the love of God here? This is how we apply this. This is where the rubber meets the road. God did not have to make himself known. God would have been totally justified if he had left each and every one of us in our sins and let us continue on our path toward hell. That would have been totally what we deserved. But God loved us so much that not only did he take on the form of Jesus, not, not only did he take on flesh and come in the, in the person of Jesus, he took the punishment that we deserve for our sins so that we would not have to bear that punishment in an eternity separated from God. But Jesus stepped in between sinful us and holy God and took the wrath and drank it to the dregs, the wrath that was coming for us. He wants to draw near to you 
Will you draw near to him today? I pray that you would. Number three, God comes to save. Look at verses 29 and following. The next, jet, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the passage that Charles Spurgeon was sitting in, or standing behind the pulpit in his church in, in London and he was just testing out the acoustics that are much like this room, these 1860s acoustics before microphones. And, and Charles Spurgeon just stood behind the pulpit and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the janitor who was in the back room who heard the voice thunder, he was brought under the conviction of the Holy Spirit spirit and he was converted in that moment and cried out to God for salvation. This is he of whom it is said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Here's what we learn. God comes to save. How could it be that John could have had the sense that Jesus was in the crowd the day before and now suddenly, he's able to see him as good and holy. Behold the Lamb of God. There he is, friends. Look. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The way that John is able to make this change is because God did a work. And friends, probably it happened the same way to you. You heard the gospel. You heard the gospel. It seemed like foolishness. It seemed like just another story. You heard the gospel, you heard the gospel, and then one day you heard the gospel and you turned and believed. You knew of Jesus, but you didn't know Jesus. And one day through the preaching of the words, through the singing of some song that highlighted the gospel or through the testimony of another believer, you turned and you repented and you believed. Oh, I pray that today would be such a day for somebody here. I pray, and perhaps even between the pews, the Holy Spirit is drawing, leading, convincing, persuading, and yes, even commanding, follow me. Jesus comes to save sinners. And if he can save me, believe me, he can save you. Lastly, here's how we work this out, believers. Believer, Make straight the way. Make straight the way of the gospel. Look at verse 23. It says in verse 23, we got to do a little Old Testament work here. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. This is what John is saying of himself. They ask him, are you, are you the prophet? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the Messiah? No. I am just the voice. I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. We've got to do a little bit, of, little bit of Old Testament work here because in Isaiah chapter 40, there's a prophecy given that there will be someone, a forerunner, an Elijah figure, there will be someone who will come and who will, in a sense, make straight the way of the Lord. But I, Israel understood this in, in kind of a different way. You can imagine, in Isaiah, they're coming out of, of their captivity. They were slaves. They were in bondage and they've been redeemed. They've come out of the exile and now there's this picture of the people of Israel paving this road so that they can go back to Jerusalem. 
right? That's the picture. That's what they thought. They thought that there was going to be a Messiah who was going to be like a, the strong man, military leader who was going to make Israel great again. And they were going to pave a road. They were going to straighten the curves. They were going to flatten the hills. And they were going to return to take what was rightfully theirs back in Jerusalem. That's what they thought. But what they didn't realize was that Israel was going to return to Jerusalem, but he wasn't going to return on a horse leading a military charge. He was going to return on a donkey to pay for the sins of his people. Israel did return to Jerusalem. It returned in the person of the true and better Israel, Jesus Christ. Listen to this in Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. She is received from the Lord's hand double for her, all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare a way of the Lord. Make straight a desert highway for God. This is kind of the Waylon Jennings part of the Bible. You know, straightening the curves, flattening the hills, all that stuff. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain all the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all its flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken this is a picture they thought of Israel returning back to Jerusalem in triumph they've come out of their captivity they've come out of their slavery and now they're on their way back and they're going to rise and they're going to it's going to be like the good old days like when David was king and we ruled everybody else but instead, the ruler that was going to come was not going to be some militaristic strongman. The ruler that was going to come was going to be a suffering servant. Listen to these words in Isaiah 52. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken smitten my God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. Does that, does that sound like a strong man leader or does that sound like the suffering servant that we need? All we like sheep have gone astray. This is not the cry of some prideful people ready to take back what's theirs. They say, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This doesn't sound like what they were expecting, but it does sound like a lot like somebody that I know. The one that John the Baptist came to tell us about. The one who for his love decided to take the punishment that we deserved after living the perfect life that we failed to live. This man Jesus. Why do we need a suffering servant? Friend, it's because our sins are great. God, any God worth worshiping does not allow any imperfection, any sin in his presence. And we've got it. We've got the sin. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face so that he does not hear, Isaiah 59 says. But here's what this suffering servant offers. Even though there's a separation between us and God, here's what the suffering servant offers when he makes his charge back into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. He says this, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Seek the Lord 
while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Friends, Jesus came to restore everything. He came to set everything right. And part of his mission to set everything right is to set you right. It's to set us right. So, so while it was, it was John the Baptist. John the Baptist's purpose in life to make straight the way for Jesus, Christian, it is our job to make straight the way of the gospel. What that means is we get to do like John the Baptist does. We get to decrease so that the gospel can increase. Maybe it means, uh, maybe one Sunday we sing a song that really isn't your speed, but some 15-year-old hears the gospel in a way they've never heard before, and they understand and they believe. Would you be willing to endure that inconvenience so that the gospel can be made known? Would you be willing to, to inconvenience Convenience yourself on a weekend or to, or to make some kind of sacrifice. I remember when I come back from the, from the mission field and I see the hardships that the missionaries are going through, I'm like, I can't ever eat fast food again because I need to save that money and give it to them so that the gospel can go forward. Are you willing to decrease so that the gospel might increase? Are you willing to make straight the way of the gospel? I pray that the answer, I pray that the cry of your heart is yes, is amen, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to flatten the hills and to raise the valleys and to straighten the road and to even out the rough patches so that our neighborhood and our nations can understand who this man Jesus is and be changed. I pray that that is the cry of your heart. And I would say this, for the one who is just, you're just being honest with yourself, you're being honest with me, just kind of on this little connection we got here. And you, you're like, I've not believed in Jesus. I've not trusted in him. I've not placed my faith in him. I just ask you this question today. In the things that we've read from John and Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 52 and 53 and Isaiah 66, which I didn't even get to because I feel like I'm going long. Do you see the love that Christ has for you? Do you see that even though there's a separation between you and him, that he desires to make you right? He desires to bring you back, and he's done everything necessary to do that work. He's paid for it all. He lived the perfect life we failed to live. He died the death that we deserve so that he could step in between us and God and take the punishment so that when God looks on us, he doesn't see our sins anymore. He sees the finished work of his son, Jesus. Do you see the love of God, I would say this to you. If right now you are feeling the tug of the Holy Spirit saying, follow Jesus, don't let this moment pass. Don't let this moment pass because it says this, we, we just read it. Seek the Lord while he may be found and call on him while he is near. If the Lord is, if he's beckoning you today, that beckoning probably won't be there tomorrow. But today is the day of salvation. For the believer, in this moment, as we're about to pause and reflect and respond, ask yourself a hard question. How can I, in my life, whether it means repenting of some kind of sin, whether it means apologizing to some person, whether it means changing the way that my finances work, whether it means laying down some preference, how can I make straight the way of the gospel like John the Baptist made straight the way of Jesus? And for the one who's, who's just honest, I'm not, a, I'm not a believer, I would ask you today, would you come and follow Jesus today? I'd love to tell you how to do that down front. Let's pray.
and we will respond. God, you're so good to us. You've given us a clear word in the Bible and I pray that nothing that I have said will have will have muddied the waters, nothing I have said will have, will have obscured the gospel, but that I would have done and that your word would have done the work that John the Baptist came to do and that is to just flatten the mountains so that we can see and raise up the valleys and smooth out the, the, uh, smooth out the rough places so that the gospel can go forth and I pray that through the preaching of your word today that it will have edified the believers and then it will have called anyone who is outside of Christ to you today. I pray that they would respond. I pray, Lord, you would make us to be a church that lives out the creed that we subscribe to. I pray that we would increasingly be a church that is following you as you finish the work that you've started in us. Lord, we are a work in progress, but you have promised to take us from where we are to where we need to be. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.